Welcome to the Sober Twin Cities podcast, a brand new podcast dedicated to sharing stories of recovery from addiction right here in the Twin Cities. My name is Dustin Lee. I'm the host and the creator of the show, and I wanted to say thanks for clicking on today's episode. I'm excited to welcome my first guest, Gabe. I met Gabe in outpatient treatment and really enjoyed uh, working through the process with him. Gabe has some really great insight and, uh, and a really positive outlook on the road ahead. And it just so happens that last night during our group session, Gabe officially completed his outpatient treatment. So congratulations, Gabe, and thanks for being here. Appreciate it. So as my first guest, it's, it's exciting for me because I, I've got a lot of people in mind who I want to you know, have on the show and hear some stories. And being in treatment with you, um, it's been great learning about you and, and hearing your story. And we'll get into like the, the nuts and bolts of all that later. But to get things started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, You know who you are, where you're from, what you're into, all that kind of stuff. Perfect. Love to. Um, Midwest boy. Uh, born in Oklahoma, moved to Kansas City. Pretty normal suburban life, you know, there. Uh, played soccer, ended up moving to Chicago, played collegiately. It's where I met my wife. Um, yes, yeah, so just taking the road as far north as I can get, seems. Might hit Canada someday. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Oklahoma to KC to Chicago to Minnesota, but kind of settled down here, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, about me, I'm just, uh, I think, first and foremost, girl dad. You know, they kind of rule my life from my wife to my kids to my dogs. They seem to follow a certain theme. There. Are your dogs all female dogs, too? All three. Oh, you're surrounded. Yep, yep. There's uh, the all-men men's group uh, is, a, is a big outlet <laughs> for me. But uh, like I said, girl dad, I uh, grew up as a soccer player. Um, that was my life. Uh, Pretty much all I ever did from being a kid through my teens uh, all the way up to my 20s. It ruled every di- everything I did, every decision I made. Uh, but now uh always been a lover of live music. Grew up with my dad and sister playing in bluegrass bands. And, you know, was never good on any of the instruments myself. But I uh, always loved to be there. Consider myself a professional listener of music i guess you say it's but, in your soul yep I, I love it but yeah uh former soccer player lover of live music husband uh very lucky guy there got uh, my wife i've been with for 22 years now and uh also an addict in recovery so it's been the newest part of my life and big part of the story though 22 years you said 22 years we met first week freshman year of college she was on the girls team i was on the guys oh team. she plays soccer too yep she does and uh i was shy though she definitely came up to me first but uh is soccer something that you know not only the two of you uh are into and and likely still love uh, is it something you're introducing your kids to yeah we wanted to take a back seat as far as not pushing it on any of the three of them but knowing full well that if the opportunity came up we would be uh as supportive as of anything but you know be able to help them with that and so our middle child isla has taken up to uh to playing and yeah she's uh She's pretty decent, you know, only six, but you can see some potential there. So yeah. we love being a parent on the sideline. Well, she's got some good teachers, so yep. that can help. <laughs> well, like I mentioned, um, you and I met in recovery. Uh, well, I should say in treatment rather than recovery. Yeah. And you started prior to myself. And 
you know, we've we've learned a little bit about each other and, and all of us that get to recover together. But if you don't mind sharing, what was it that actually led you there? What was your path to uh, treatment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my drug of choice is opiates. Um, I think is a lot of the nation is figuring out right now. It's absolutely an epidemic, you know. There's some some good programming on television to show us uh, some of the ways that that's happened right now. But uh, yeah, it was tough. So started out, like I said, as a soccer player, and as any sport activity, you know, a lot of uh, injuries can come with that. And so I had first surgery when I was probably like 17 years old, and of course, back then, they, it was the very beginning of the opiate epidemic and something that, you know, a, a pretty simple surgery that, you know, you, you'd probably be lucky to walk out of the, the doctor's office with, a you know, a handful of, of pain pills to mm-hmm. help you for a day or two nowadays. But, but back then it was, you know, pill bottles full, um, refills without even really having to ask it right. is pretty absurd yeah it was one of those things as i look back on it it uh you know i knew right away you know as i look back on it it uh, was something that you know as you know a lot of kids do you know smoked pot drank never been a really big drinker but you know it definitely drank a few times uh, by that age and you know those were fun but they never is addicts we often hear of like getting numb and you know mm-hmm. not not remembering and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was uh you know as any most situations with kids you know my mom would you know dispense the pills to me but I remember you know as in especially over the last 4 months just you know reflecting on things that you know, I felt it right away. It was the first thing ever in my life that, you know, didn't remember anything. And for that brief period of time, that was, you know, we, we all experience tough stuff in life. And, you know, oftentimes rather, if you don't go through the process of addressing it and, you know, dealing with it, processing it, you know, like we do in group a lot, the, you kind of just end up wanting to forget it. What do you think, you know, how old were you, did you say, like 17? Yeah, 17 the first time, and it was, you know, nothing off the streets or anything fully prescribed, dispensed by my mom, but... Prescription drug, and why do you think that whatever the feeling, the initial feeling that you got from the drug, what what do you think it was about it? Was there something that it was taken away from you, or a different state of mind that it was putting you in that made it so desirable? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, for one, it absolutely, it makes you forget the pain, you know, the physical pain from the operation, from the injury, whatever it is, does not take it away. In my opinion, that's a a huge myth. Painkillers do not take anything away. They simply put a mask on it for a few hours. Mm -hmm. And so starting with that, but then, um, you know, we all go through stuff in life and, you know, and I think we're in a good spot in today's world. We're recognizing you know, kids go through stuff and they need to process things. They need to deal with things and just, you know, normal life stuff up until the point of being 17. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of great stuff, but some not so. And you just, you you know, being at a point I hadn't, whether it's through therapy, um, groups of people, 
that I was willing to be vulnerable with and talk I talk with I just didn't have that and so yeah it just made you forget the stuff you don't want to think about and how so how long did that last as far as you get you get the prescription you start taking it you realize oh this this is something new you know I I can I can get down with this feeling and how so how long did that go on um you know for as much as I recognize it as an issue it was not illicit you know, in, in, in those terms, as far as my usage, it was, but I, you know, being someone that did play college soccer, played some amateur ball after that, like the injuries didn't stop. And so I've had uh, two or three multiple knee surgeries, surgery on my foot, you know, some broken wrists, um, one very lively weekend at a music festival where I didn't wear my shirt and got a pretty horrible, <laughs> horrible sunburn. That uh, yeah, got it back then. You got a Vicodin prescription for a sunburn. For a sunburn. Yeah, it was absurd. And so, you know, it was a really long time that it was just kind of when I had it through quote unquote appropriate um, acquiring it in appropriate ways. It was just uh, abusing it, you know, when I had it, you know, taking, Mm -hmm. you know, starting off taking it as the prescription bottle says. But then, you know, you you, you skip one, uh, you know, your morning dose to double up on the afternoon dose. And so it was, you know, abuse, absolutely, but not acquiring it in illicit ways until, uh, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, yeah, just had some other life stuff. And it, it, that's whenever, you know, and a lot of the times I think, especially on the, on the drugs, on the narcotics side, it's, you meet that person mm-hmm. and I met that person and, uh, you know, went, went downhill quickly and had some stuff I had to deal with as I was, you know, starting a family. And that's, uh, around 2015 when I, when I got clean the first time. So, yeah. So you went through all of that. And, you know, that's that's an up and down road, man. And I think we all know it. Right. Yeah. So you go through all of that and then you get clean. So what was the decision there? How long did that last? How did that go? You know, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it's something I look back on getting clean now after a relapse. Um, I think it's hard to acknowledge getting clean for other people is the wrong reason Mm -hmm. because it sounds great. Right. And I can, you know, reflect on that. I I got clean for my family and I don't think that's a bad thing, but for long lasting recovery, that just can't be the answer. Mm -hmm. It's just not sustainable because things happen with other people. And as long as you're getting clean for yourself, that's sustainable, you know, because you've always got yourself, um, but yeah, got clean. I was starting a family, you know, getting married, um, having a kid, and but once again, I think you know a common theme that you know has been great, major change about this time around. Uh, I just wasn't addressing stuff there. You know, I was one of those people that um, I think always pretty driven, uh, very independent. Moved away from home at the age of eighteen, and. Um, you know, I, I was confident I could take care of myself. And if I could just bury it deep enough, compartmentalize it, I could just move on and mm-hmm. continue and focus on the good stuff. Because I've, I've always had a lot of good stuff going on. But, yeah. you know, just I just didn't deal with the bad. Mm-hmm. 
So. And how long, um, when you got clean, how long of a stretch was that? I had six years. Six years. Got clean in 2015, uh, relapsed 2021. So 2021 rolls around, you had been clean, and suddenly something changed. Yeah. And you, you consciously or unconsciously made the decision to use again. Um, do you have any idea what led to that? You know, just tough life stuff. And, you know, I, I know I've said that a couple times, but I think when it comes to tough things in life, it can be, you know, a lot of small things, you just kind of pile on top of each other. And then there's sometimes it's, it's big. And, you know, this, this time it was a, it was, it was a big event and it was really tough. And I, I didn't, I didn't have some things that I, in recovery, I've realized people like us. I think everybody, but, you know, especially people like us when dealing with addiction and drugs of choice, you got to have. And, you know, I, I did not have community around my sobriety. You yeah. know, it was very, very isolated, kind of, especially on the AA side, I think, you know, they call it a dry drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sober, but you're not recovering from anything. And I, I had no toolbox. I uh, was not in therapy. And so... Uh, like I said, I was sober, but I, I, I was not recovering. And I just, you know, at a tough point, made a made a poor decision. Mm-hmm. And as addicts, those poor decisions, uh, you know, they build on top of each other pretty quick. And when you go when you go through a period where you're, the, you know, the dry drunk um, syndrome, we'll call it. It's yeah, you're sober, like you said, but if you're not dealing with it and you're not, you don't have the tools that you need to respond to situations, you're absolutely going to relapse. Yeah. Uh, I, I should say I would absolutely relapse. I, you know, I can't speak for everyone, of course, but I think that as we've learned and you and I have talked about a bunch is that people matter. And, you know, I, I certainly can't, remain sober if I don't have the support of the people around me. And that's why therapy uh, or group treatment that we've gone to has been such a, um, just a tremendously wonderful thing for me, because as I've said before, and I will say, you know, all the time is that it's a team effort. You know, we've got to have those people around us to hold us accountable and help us learn from each other because, Otherwise, we're just going to fall back. I've tried, you know, alcohol is my thing. I've tried to quit so many times. And the reason that I chose to go into treatment is because I wanted to quit. But I knew if I just tried to quit, wasn't going to happen. So that's what led me there. And then what do you know? Here, here you and I are talking about it some more. But I wanted to ask about uh, mental health and, you know, have you had any sort of mental health issues in the past? Are you having them now? And if you are, are you, are you doing anything to help alleviate those? Yeah, I think, uh, inpatient treatment was very enlightening for me. Got the opportunity to, you know, see professional help for the first time. And, you know, it was one of those things that, as much of a proponent as I, you know, always have been uh, for mental health therapy for, for anybody, it's, you have to be willing, you know, inpatient and outpatient, we use, uh, you know, different, uh, different ideas to, you know, make sure you're having, you know, you're not just going through the, the steps, you know, you're actually gaining something from the process. Mm -hmm. And something we talked about a lot was, um, honesty, openness, and willingness. 
And I think I, I just struggled with the willingness, you know. And it, whenever I hear about that honesty, openness, willingness, I think a lot about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's tough to make that first step of willing to be vulnerable with anybody, much less a stranger. But, you know, once you make that step, once I made that step, I'll say, it was one of the best decisions I've I've ever made in my life. I, uh, you know, going through the steps, you know, dealing with um, anxiety, you know, of in actually getting an, an actual diagnosis. I was, you know, suffered from OCD, you know, generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was always stuff that was a part of my life that I feel like I knew that was there, whether it's, you know, obsessing over numbers, counting things. I uh, was never really a hand washer, but um, definitely have those people in my family. <laughs> oh, but that, I, that's absolutely me. Yeah, right? I mean, it, every, like so many people have it, but I had this thing where I would have to, you know, touch certain fingers and do it a certain amount of times, and everything revolved around a specific number. And um, But, th- you know, through therapy, also recognizing where that's, been a positive part of my life like I you know when I'm in a good state of mind and can control it I'm a I'm a planner you know I, I mm-hmm. and that leads me to a, a place where I think through all the possibilities and you know I've, I've had success with stuff and so it's it's not all a it's not a curse it's just it's a fact that you just have to accept both sides of the coin so now let's talk a little bit about the actual recovery process. Um, you know, you and I have actually been through all of mine, and I'd say probably the majority of yours. I don't know that you yeah. started in treatment too much before I did, but Not much. for you, what have you found to be um, the most beneficial or the most uh, productive part of the recovery process? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, you know, as I just mentioned a, a minute ago, the uh, the idea of how you know that honesty, openness, willingness. I try to take that. And, you know, honestly, I don't think that applies to just addicts. I think that's you know everybody. You, you know, you approach any situation in life with honesty, openness, willingness. You know, like I said, I think vulnerability kind of comes along with that. I think you're just gonna have a. a, a just be much more effective in, you know, tackling all problems. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's something for me I try to apply to, you know, all of my recovery and all the different things I do. But, you know, for me, I found uh, my inpatient stay uh, could not have gotten better. And, you know, I was pretty nervous moving to outpatient. But, you know, just like inpatient, my outpatient experiences exceeded all expectations. And, you know, as, as I was winding that down and, you know, part of something they, they work to teach you throughout patient is, you know, you're discovering yourself, um, to have options to transition into. And so for me, a huge part of that transition has been, you know, some of your typical, uh, recovery programs, uh, recovery spaces that Mm -hmm. a lot of us have heard of, um, you know, I, I go to NA meetings, um, I also go to AA meetings. Like uh, for me, there, there's just not a huge difference. Right. I, I enjoy some of the. I, f- I feel like NA is a little more modern, but you're still tackling the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I have different drugs of choice, but our, our process is no different. Correct. And so, 
you know the twelve step program. I have a I have a sponsor in that right now. I can't uh, can't can't speak more highly of a human being than my sponsor, and you know very very grateful and fortunate to get to go through that with him. But I would also say my what I see is my long term program. Uh, something you know you and I get to enjoy uh, working on together is a program called Recovery Dharma, mm-hmm. and I would just say in short, it's a recovery through the eyes of Buddhist teachings. They don't necessarily push the religion on you. They definitely borrow some stuff from the 12 steps. But uh, just as my outlook on on the world, on life, I think that fits, is a great fit for me. And, but that being said, um, you know, we talked about that OCD thing a little bit Mm -hmm. ago. Um, I, I, I need some structure especially whenever I begin something. And once I feel like I have a firm foundation, then I, you know, run with it and, you know, kind of make it that whole idea of making it your own. And so, um, like I said, doing the, the NA thing as well right now with a sponsor, but Dharma is definitely what I see as being my, my main focus, my main group of meetings, my main community. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, just going through that and, um, you know, honestly, just something I lacked a lot in active use was communication, you know, with anyone in my life, but, you know, especially my wife and something I've worked really hard on is, is making her a major part of my recovery. And that's, that's been huge for me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it builds, you know, works on not only like, you know, building trust back, but, you know, just building our relationship as a whole. We're just in a great spot because of the, you know, the honesty, openness, and willingness of both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, have a tremendous amount of support for her, a tremendous amount of vulnerability from her, you know, not just me, to to work through what's a is a really really difficult thing, and you know, support a community inside and outside of um, of recovery itself. You know, my my family, my uh, my friends. Uh, my in, you know my in-laws my wife's family everybody's been um, tremendously supportive and you know I feel very lucky and you know in the last thing that you know is a can be kind of a I wouldn't call it a sensitive topic but maybe a controversial for some but it it is my path and it, it works for me is I, I take what's called a, a sublocade shot and, you know, in short, the idea there is, you know, your body has an opiate receptor. Um, when you take opiates, the opiates flood the opiate receptor. That's how you get high. This shot, there's also a, a, a different version of it called uh, Suboxone. Um, it basically just puts a blanket over that opiate receptor. So mm-hmm. that even if I were to try to take opiates, they, they just wouldn't be effective. And uh, it kind of sends you into some withdrawal stuff right away. And okay. so I feel really good about where I'm at mentally, physically, but it has been a lifelong battle and, and it will continue to be, you know, not necessarily a battle, but a, a, a lifelong process. You know, recovery for me doesn't ever end. And so having that shot is uh, just like in, I consider it uh, a safety blanket. You know, and earlier when we started the podcast, I mentioned that, you know, last night you completed your outpatient treatment and that doesn't mean congratulations, Gabe, you're done. I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth Yeah, because 
you went through the treatment, you discovered some of the tools that you need, but you're going to continue to grow. Um, and I, I shouldn't speak for you. I would say for myself that I have to have that as part of my recovery moving forward. I have to continue to read. I have to continue to learn, talk to people because the, the idea of recovery, yes, we're all in the same boat, but we're all going to recover differently. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what works for me may not work for you, may not work for the next person. And I think that's the wonderful thing about having so many outlets, like you mentioned, AANA and, and the one that you and I um, spend a lot of our time with uh, the recovery Dharma. And I think that there's value in all of it. And if you can take a little bit from everything and kind of customize the recovery that works for you, I think that's, you know, that's a great place to be. And so to kind of continue on that, you know, yeah, you are through the treatment now, but there's a long road ahead, um, a better road ahead, as we know. But you are going to find yourself in situations where, you know, oh, this situation might be hard. I'm going out with this group of people that might be hard or I'm, you know, I'm going to a show. I'm going to go see my favorite artist playing whatever. In those situations, do you have a plan or some strategies that you're going to use to avoid triggers and stay sober? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, one of the main things we talk about in our group is having that plan, having a, uh, you know, something in place should something happen. And I think, you know, a huge part of it, it as you said, like, a, you know, recovery is a, a lifelong process. And so part of that process for me is continuing to have community that I run things by. I, you know, yep. I check things over with, you know, not only people in my life that I trust, you know, like my wife, but my recovery community and, you know, get ideas from them. And, you know, it can be as simple, whether it's a formal group session or a text message thread, just, you know, we just have great guys in there and, uh, you know, I'll throw it out to people. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's an individual text with you, whether it's a text to the whole group, whether it's, you know, a few people just saying, hey, like, this is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? And, you know, I'm not locking myself into, you know, any one answer that comes from those people, but it helps inform my my decision making. And I feel like the more information I have, like you said, education is, is key to this for a lot of us. And the more information I have, the more education I have on what other trusted people of in my tribe, what they think about something, I think leads me to a position of making a better decision. You know, should I get in, you know, make the decision to, you know, we call it sober fun, mm -hmm. but, you know, have some sober fun. And on the front end, I have to think about who am I there with? Who can hold me accountable if it looks like I'm not going to hold myself accountable or if it looks like there might be a struggle there, mm -hmm. who is someone that, you know, I, I know that no matter what is going to have my back. And if, if plans need to change in the middle of an event, if it, if it's a hard out, you know, maybe it's taking a time out. Maybe it's uh, changing scenes if you're, you know, at a big community event. But sometimes it does just come down to like, I, I got to go. Cannot do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, that's my wife. 
Yep. You know, not that there aren't other people that can provide that, but I have found myself, you know, not in a bad way, um, but really just clinging to her presence. And, you know, she travels for work, and so there are going to be those times that she's not there. And in this, you know, most recent season of recovery, I have found myself whenever she's on the road just being like, man, I really wish she was home right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at home. I'm not, I'm not out at a concert. I'm not doing anything. But it's just like, man, I am just safe when she's there. Because I know no matter what I need to do, like, she's got my back. And she'll be there with me. And somebody who can understand, you know, when you're having a, I don't want to say episode, but when you're having a moment. Yeah. And it's, you know, you can say, mm, this isn't working for me. And yeah. they'll know right away. Yeah, absolutely. For me, that happened. I went, when I went to my first sober concert, guess what? It happened to be at a brewery. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, this is what I've done. This is what I'm going to continue to do, but it's going to be different now. And I get so much great support from my wife. And there was an instance where, she wanted to reach into her purse for something. And she said, Hey, here, can you hold my beer? And I grabbed it. And what I would have done months ago is I would have seen it. I would have taken a sip. Oh, what's this? Let me try this one. And I grabbed it and I looked at it and I, that thought kind of popped into my head. I immediately turned to her and I said, I think that this is something I can't do for you anymore. So now she goes, okay. And from now on, it's like she'll just sit it on the ground or put it somewhere else and not hand it to me because she understands that that's a potential trigger for me. And by having that trust and that understanding from a spouse or whoever it might be, close friend, whatever, that's key to, you know, maintaining a a healthy sobriety through events that could potentially be triggering. Yeah, I think I mean, I think. To me, you just talked through honesty, openness, willingness. Mm-hmm. You know, in a specific event, you had all three of those just unfold in a matter of what that probably didn't take more than sixty seconds. No, not not at all. That's awesome, man. So before we wrap things up today, um, again, congratulations on completing treatment. Appreciate a, it very much. a big accomplishment. Super proud of you. But I I think that there's probably somebody listening today who might be in a situation where we were months ago, kind of the phase of, I kind of feel like I might have a problem and I might need some help. It's hard to admit that. I can tell you from personal experience, you're trying to sort it all out in your head, but you don't know what the next steps are. Is there any advice that you would have for people who could currently be in that situation uh, that could help them you know, kind of move into the next step. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Dude, I made it through last night and all today without getting emotional, but like, (laughs) (laughs) this is the one. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not alone. There's community out there. And like, I, like I'm a perfect example. Like I've been blessed with an immense amount of community that I just did not know was there. And when you're like you're you're in those moments, it's hard to think that people not only are there that there are people that want to be there for you. A huge part of this is being of service. They're you know just like myself, just like you. There's huge, just an unbelievable amount of people that have benefited from not any specific program, but just recovery in general. And they're there to give back. You have community. There's. 
there's strength in numbers. You know, that's an you know an old saying that applies to a lot, but mm-hmm. it, like it couldn't be couldn't be more true. Um, you know, like you said, I'm a I'm a huge fan of education. I think you know our wives probably make fun of us in a similar way. <laughs> <laughs> Stacks of books, multiple Absolutely. audible purchases, uh, highlighters, page tabs, yep. you know, all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, just education taken. For me, um, and a lot of people I have been around, just taking in as much information as you can. It's not all going to stick, but some really important stuff will. I would say, uh, you know, it all starts with the how, the honesty, the openness, the willingness. Like I continue to say, vulnerability comes along with that, and that'll get you a long, long ways. And uh, I think the final thing to remember, and this is... uh, this is huge for me is being in recovery and working through this process that is difficult and we're doing great things, but it does not exempt us from hard stuff in life. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's going to happen. It's a, it's a winding road. There are ups and downs, but as addicts in recovery, it's just about making the next right decision. It's not about a lifetime of recovery. It is about a minute yep. of sobriety. Like that that's and you stack those minutes, you stack those days, you stack those weeks, and that's what gets you to the lifetime of recovery. And so it's it's not easy to start and it's not an easy path. It's they're, they're going to be tough moments, but the toughest moment here, like Beats the hell out of the best moment in active use. The, the way I heard it last week was, I was sober yesterday, I'm sober so far today, and I'm planning on being sober tomorrow. Gabe, again, congrats uh, on on finishing treatment, and I'm so happy that it worked out that you were able to be here today to record this episode, and that you are my first guest. That's uh, That's huge for me, so thanks a lot. I appreciate that. We'll have you back for sure. Anytime. And um, we're rooting for you. We got your back. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, brother. And don't forget that if you want to get in touch with me, feel free to shoot me an email, SoberTwinCitiesPodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question, a guest or topic suggestion, or even an event that you'd like to share, again, go ahead, send me an email, that address, SoberTwinCitiesPodcast at gmail.com. All episodes are available on Spotify, so make sure you hit the follow button to stay in the loop when something new becomes available. You can also find the episodes and resources on the website. That is SoberTwinCitiesPodcast.com. On our next episode, I'll be joined by somebody who has been very close to my struggles with alcohol and mental health, and that's my super supportive wife, Carrie. I'm looking forward to having her here to share her perspective on my personal addiction and recovery. So with gratitude, we'll see you next time on the Sober Twin Cities Podcast.